That's Tupac, and I'm Tavis, and I'm delighted to have you hanging out with us today in uh, this hour of our program. We just spent an hour, uh, a powerful hour, a rich hour, an inspiring hour, talking to some black women who are part of the all-female city council in St. Paul, Minnesota. Uh, as I said earlier, a rarity among large cities where uh, the entire city council is run by nothing but women of color. Uh, that's a big deal, and we were honored to have uh, Anika Bowie and Janika Johnson, uh, two of those seven council members, join us in the last hour as they make black history themselves running the city of St. Paul. So it was the sisters last hour, and as promised, uh, this hour, the brothers. It didn't get, really get planned that way, just uh, sometimes on my schedule. Uh, I, you would think uh, these things were kind of planned out, and it didn't actually start out that way, but it works out okay. Sisters one hour, brothers the next hour. Uh, and in this hour, as promised, um, young, black, and done with Biden. Young, black, and done with Biden. The conversation for the next hour about some of the issues uh, that some black men say could decide this election. So as I warned earlier, strap yourselves in uh, uh, for what I expect will be a spirited uh, and insightful and informative conversation. I am pleased to be joined in this conversation by two black men, uh, one named Harrison Shelby. Harrison Shelby, how are you today, sir? How you doing? Travis? I'm doing the best I can, man. If I complained, I'd be an ingrate. Kermit Williams, how are you, sir? I'm excellent. It's good to have you on as well. So it's going to be a, a great hour. I'm glad to have Harrison and Kermit with us. Let me. St- I, 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 I think I want to start this way. And I'm, I'm asking this question because I want to set the frame for who I'm talking to, who the audience is hearing from across the country. Um, who is Harrison Shelby? Who is Kermit Williams? Before we get into their politics, the way they see this election, my view and my sense is, I can only speak for myself and people I've met and known over the course of my life, that most of us, uh, our lives are not disconnected from our politics. The way we see the world has a lot to do with the lives that we live, the legacies we're trying to leave, the neighborhoods that we're from, how we were educated, what churches we grew up in. All that stuff makes us who we are. And so who we are is not altogether disconnected from the way we see the world and the way we engage politically. So I want to start with this question Tell me in just a couple of minutes, uh, tell me a bit about Harrison Shelby. I want to understand more about your backstory, Harrison, then we'll get Kermit involved, and then we'll jump into the politics. So, Harrison, tell me about Harrison Shelby. So, I'm a a young community leader and activist, um, born and raised in the city of Detroit, um, and I'm also a member of Detroit Action, which is a union for black and brown, low-income uh, housing insecure Detroiters that are fighting uh, for political and economic justice in the city of Detroit. Mm-hmm. All right, Kermit Williams, tell me a bit about Kermit Williams. Uh, Kermit Williams, uh, I started my first political action with uh, the late Dick Gregory uh, mm-hmm. marching down the street when I was eight years old and um, spent 12 years on the Pontiac City Council. Now um, I co-run uh, with Autumn Butler, um, Oakland Forward and Oakland Forward Action Fund, uh, which is a C3, C4 organization that engages, equips, and empowers black and brown people in Oakland County, Michigan, not to be confused with Oakland, California. Mm-hmm. And I'm from Pontiac, the center of the universe uh, that's helped shape everything that I am and will be. 
Mm-hmm. So that's a bit about Harrison Shelby, a bit about Kermit Williams. I thank them both for answering that question. You have noted that they're both from Detroit. I probably should have mentioned to you earlier that this story, there have been a number of stories that I've been reading, of course, over months now about black men and Joe Biden. But this particular story was a huge story in the Washington Post. Uh, and their story centered in Michigan. Uh, and so that's why you're hearing the voices of two men who are from Michigan, uh, Pontiac, Detroit. Uh, but these were the men that the Washington Post uh, uh, spoke to. Uh, for this particular story. But trust and believe, there are all kinds of stories that have been written. You've seen them. You've read them about black men, literally from California to the Carolinas, uh, who will tell you that they are young or maybe even not so young, but they are certainly black. And many of them are done with Biden. And I want to understand better what that's all about. So I'm delighted to have Harrison Shelby and Kermit Williams for the hour. Now that you know a bit more about them, let's talk politics when we come forward on Tavis Smiley. Hope Agency Dignity. This is Tavis Smiley. Can you dig it? Come on! Smart talk for curious people just like you. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Smiley. Tavis Smiley and Harrison Shelby and Kermit Williams um, in this conversation uh, about young black and being done with Biden. Before we get to Joe Biden, um, so Kermit, I'll come to you first. Just tell me about your political engagement over the years. I'm just, I, I, I'll, I'll get to, again to the Biden piece, but I'm just trying to get a better sense of who Kermit Williams is. And you've told us a bit about your work and your witness. But politically, tell me about your engagement, your involvement, running for office. Just talk, talk, about, talk to me about your political journey, Kermit. Okay, my political journey. Well, first, I have to say this, Tavis. About uh, 15 years ago, uh, we were watching Tavis Smiley with my sister, and I said, one day I'll be on that show, and you look at God. Um, so I'm very excited that it's radio, uh, but not TV, so we got to work on that. We'll but, work uh, on that. We'll work on that. that yeah. uh, we've, uh, I've admired what you've been able to do, not only for our culture, um, but standing on integrity. So I want to say that before we got started on you the You were kind. Things. I appreciate so, that, my friend. So, I appreciate it, yeah. So... So politically, um, so uh, my mother, who's my shero, uh, has cerebral palsy, uh, worked two jobs my whole life, uh, most of the time didn't have a car. And so I went to school for uh, theater and speech communications, came back home and on the drive home, uh, Joe Woods, uh, who's recently deceased, uh, spent two hours talking to me about getting involved uh, in the Pontiac Democratic Club. Um, so I went to a meeting, uh, they gave me some donuts and I was hooked. Um, <laughs> and, and, uh, 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 after that became president of the young Democrats, uh, of the state of Michigan, uh, the first, uh, non Detroiter, um, to be president, um, and shout out to Harrison for holding it down, you know, uh, mm-hmm. with Detroit. Um, so we d- did that work, um, really got disenfranchised with what was happening. I had a house right next to mine that uh, had been demolished and there were kids actually playing in the hole where the house had been torn down. I went to my council person, couldn't get a response, couldn't get anything done. I said, what does it take to run for office? Got the signatures the next day. And after I turned them in the day after the hole was filled, people shouldn't have to run for office Mm. in order to get change in their community. And so that's what started uh, the journey politically. Um, But we worked uh, not only on that, but we started doing social justice work. And so uh, what really uh, excites me now is not just the political process, uh, but the engagement of people year round. And so uh, Tamika Ramsey, along with Autumn Butler, uh, we were passing out food at uh, the old elementary school I went to. We passed out about 200 boxes, Tavis. Mm-hmm. 
and the people kept coming. And we sat down at the end of that day and realized that if we didn't change the policies that kept people poor, we would always just be passing out food boxes. And so that's what started the Pontiac Policy Council, which is now Oakland Forward and doing work all the way through. So that's the through line has kind of engaged me. And so we've always been trying to engage people to make sure that we eradicate not only poverty, but the policies that keep black people poor. Yep. First of all, thank you for your kind words. As I said earlier, I, I deeply appreciate that. And I'm glad that, uh, that, that, that things have worked out as we say, won't he do it? Won't he will. So you and I are finally connected in the conversation. I'm glad that um, you watched me all those years ago and just thrilled to have you on this program right now. Let me, let, so, so I, I, I'm glad you shared that backstory and I'm glad I asked that question. So let me just ask you another question now which is tell, you mentioned that you know you were starting to feel disenfranchised um by the democratic party even though you had been the state president of young democrats tell me more about that moment or those moments as you recall them when you started to my word not yours get frustrated with the democratic party apparatus so the party apparatus i think from a lens of systems systems have never really been set up to benefit um, black folk in general, um, mm-hmm. and especially uh, black men. Um, but I had an epiphany uh, years ago uh, that you can't change the system from outside of the system. Mm-hmm. And so even though um, there is uh, policies that have uh, made me frustrated with the Democratic Party, we've also got some platform changes and other things. But in the state of Michigan, at one time, including Detroit, 50% of all African Americans were under emergency management. We went to the ballot, defeated it at the ballot box. Black people voted. And the next day, the Republican legislator and lame duck added some money to it and made it constitutional in the law to have emergency management that still stays on the books. And what that means for the people that are listening across the country, Tavis, Mm -hmm. is the fact that uh, at one point as a city council person, and I got uh, President Waterman listening as we speak, all I was able to do as a duly elected official was open meetings and closed meetings. Mm. I had an 85-year-old lady come to my office and say, I've been voting uh, my whole life, and this is the first time that I feel like I have no voice. And so that day, it made it incomprehensible for me to support a Republican Party that I watched sell my police department, my fire department, our city infrastructure, and uh, all of the assets uh, that we call home. We had to get a youth millage passed by the people because the emergency manager sold all of our community centers. And so when you talk about this politics, Tavis, mm-hmm. it's so local for me. And the Republicans have done things to me personally mm-hmm. that I can never forgive because uh, they cut the pensions from the senior citizens. Detroit is still dealing with that. And they die every day and they still don't have the health care and other benefits that are there. They actually cancel life insurance policies for people who had worked for the city of Pontiac for 40 years. So you felt, I, my word, not yours, you can you can own it if you want, but I, I'm hearing you suggest to me that you felt colonized by Republicans in your state. What word would you use to describe how you felt uh, being maltreated by Democrats? If you're colonized by Republicans, you felt what by Democrats? Oh, um, I felt, uh, at the time, I, I felt uh, left out. But then I realized that we make up 13% of the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. And so it was all about making sure that we use our own franchise. I can't complain about something if I'm not making a leadership effort in order to do something else. And I think a lot of people feel helpless right now. And that's the reason that you're having these segments. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, we don't get the credit 
that black men, along with black women, have been holding down this party. Black women vote at, what, 93 percent? Mm-hmm. Black men have been voting at 87 percent. And so I think that the narrative that's out there is that black men are just going to ultimately vote for Donald Trump or whoever uh, the Republican nominee is. And I believe that that's a fallacy. I believe that there is a portion of black men that are not going to vote if we don't make the case and the argument in order to get them out to vote. But black men have been married to the Democratic Party for the last 50 years. And now you had a Republican Party offering a one night stand. Mm. Their argument has been simply that uh, look at your communities. They haven't done anything for you, but they're not offering you anything in return. There's no policy that I've seen other than sneakers uh, that they're actually trying to give to black men right now. But I do believe that they have had an intentionality that I've never seen before. I can't go on my uh, Instagram. I can't go on my Facebook without seeing them actually target and attract me. And so I think that the Democratic Party needs to take note from not only what the Republicans are doing, but black men definitely need extra attention, not only in this election, but after the election is over. And I think that's the key point that's been missing. And I'll say this and I'll turn it over. We've been doing what's called bro brunches, Brothers Reaching Out Brunches for the last three years. And we did one in Detroit. And a 17-year-old, because we have brothers of all ages, uh, stood up at the end of the meeting because uh, we asked one question, Tavis. We said, uh, what can we do to make black men safer? And it's open-ended. So a lot of people talked about policing and other things. Mm-hmm. But he said, give me a community in which I can thrive in. And that's when I'll feel safe. Mm. And that stuck with me. And so that's the work that each party needs to be doing in order to make sure that black men are healthy and whole. Yeah. And I, I'll, I'll shut up there because I can go on. And we only got an hour. No, we will go on as we move through this hour. Trust me, you, you ain't done talking yet. I'm going to get uh, Harrison back in this conversation. But I got I got stuff for you. Um, in case you just tuned in, we're talking, uh, as you can probably tell, about why uh, so many, why certain black men in particular are frustrated by the Biden administration. Uh, as they ponder their options between now and November, we're talking about being young and black and done with Biden. All kinds of uh, interesting and fascinating uh, clickbait headlines uh, about black men and Biden. And I'm just trying to spend a few minutes here in this hour getting to the bottom of what this frustration is all about and why they are pondering options other than Joe Biden uh, between now and November. So that's a bit more of the backstory of Kermit Williams. So now let me get back to Harrison Shelby. So Harrison, some of the same questions, I'm just trying to move this conversation forward. I, I, I want to get a sense of when, where, and how you became frustrated uh, writ large with the Democratic Party. We'll get to Biden specifically in a moment, but I'm just trying to get a sense of, of, of where along your political journey you started to feel some frustration. Well, that's a good question. Um I started out young uh, in my service to my community. Uh, my grandfather and um, my uncle, um, my cousin, uh, who was much like my uncle, uh, Vincent Greg, the Honorable Vincent Gregory, who recently passed, Kermit knows, uh, was the first black state senator in Oakland County um, and served. And I watched him in his struggles, um, learning how to campaign and uh him not being uh, valued in the political party that he helped uh, get many victories like his uh, former colleague, our governor, uh, Gretchen Whitmer, and things like that. And so I became uh, active within organizing my community. I uh, started the food pantry at my college um, and worked in a number of different nonprofits and then went off to work for one of our state representatives. Uh, she created a, a role for me to serve as a special project coordinator to focus on businesses and working with our seniors um, and things like that. And so uh, that's what kind of sparked my 
political interest in uh, working for our community. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hear that part, and I appreciate that. What, what I'm pressing toward now, the next question is, give me a sense of when you started to get frustrated. Um, I, I heard you suggest that you didn't like the way they treated your, was it your grandfather you mentioned a moment ago, your grandfather? Um, but My uncle. Your yeah. uncle, I'm sorry, your uncle. Um, yeah. g- give, give, give me a sense of, um, a, a better sense of your personal frustration um, with the Democratic Party apparatus. Well, uh, I first became uh, involved, I ran, well, before that, I ran for uh, precinct delegate, which is mm-hmm. uh, making sure voters are registered, oh, yeah. making sure they know what's going on. Sure. In the community. And uh, at the age of uh, 21, mm-hmm. I first became elected. And um, I was out talking to folks about what's going on in our community, and I felt it was a disconnect because when I was going to the door, I'm talking about, are you registered to vote? Are you going to vote in this upcoming election? And most of them are don't know where their next meal is coming from, mm. don't have a job. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like we're spending all this money going to talk to folks about registering to vote and are you going to vote? And they are experiencing, they're, they're struggling. Sure. And so they can't connect with what's going on. And so I felt like we needed to have holistic organizing and making sure that we're centering those that are, uh, most vulnerable. And so that's what led to me thinking about how do we get resources? Mm-hmm. How do I leverage this position as in a way to get the things that my community needs yep. from these elected officials? So Kermit, here's what we, we, as we, as, as I'm pushing my way toward Joe Biden specifically and why people are frustrated with Biden, uh, certain black men frustrated with him and considering other options uh, again at the, at the November elections. One thing jumps out at me pretty, pretty quickly. And I have a really smart audience. So I'm sure they figured this out as well. People might have thought prior to this conversation, as they read all these stories about black men and Joe Biden, that's a bunch of black men sitting on their behinds, whining, complaining, doing nothing, not involved, not registered to vote, et cetera, et cetera. Um, there is this narrative that black men are, you know, that this is, a, we're, we're in Black History Month. This narrative has long existed that we're, that we whine, that we complain, that we don't take uh, control of our own agency, that we're lazy, that we're shiftless, all that stuff we've heard about the image that many black men have been subjected to. That is not what I'm hearing in this conversation. As we push toward your frustrations, uh, your concerns about Joe Biden in particular, I'm hearing from two black men who have, in fact, for quite some time, been politically engaged, been politically involved. And that's an, that's an important point for me. These are not men outside the process who are just talking a bunch of trash. These are black men inside the Democratic Party, inside the process, folk who've been involved, who are expressing a level of frustration. That is a key point to me, Kermit Williams. You see it differently? No, I think that I think you hit it on the head. But I also believe uh, that uh, this narrative has been pushed that Biden has a black man problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, there needs to be extra attention paid to our community. But by and large, even with all their expectations, even if they had a landslide, they would only get 20 percent of the black man vote. The problem is this 50 to 60 percent of the white man vote and the white woman vote that's not being talked about. Mm-hmm. I-, I feel that black men are being scapegoated in this election mm. um, to try to fit a narrative Um, But we've saved democracy time and time again. If you look at the 2016 election when black men didn't vote because they didn't have a black man message coming um, from Hillary Clinton, 
She didn't make any visits to Pontiac and other places that she needed to go to. You saw what happened. Mm -hmm. So then in 2020, you look at the, the percentage of black people that voted along with black women, and you see the gains that are there. For the first time in my life, I live in a, a purple county. Mm -hmm. For the first time in my life, um, with the exception of our county sheriff, there are no Republican elected officials from my school board all the way up to presidency that I have to deal with. It took 40 years for that to happen. Mm -hmm. It didn't just happen in the vacuum, but it happened because black people overperformed in every election. And so now the narrative is because there is an enthusiasm gap, because I think that one thing that the Democratic Party does not do well is it does not brag about what they do. When you start talking about infrastructure, when you start talking about child care, when you start talking about tax credits, all of these things have been pushed from the Democrats for years, right? Mm -hmm. They get one Republican to vote for it, and now it's a bipartisan collaboration. You just need to stick to what you do. The Republican Party is very good at branding and talking about the things that they do. They say, we're going to give you smaller government, we're going to give you more tax cuts, and we're going to sprinkle a little bit of racism in it. <laughs> and so that's the formula that they've been using time and time again. And now they're using uh, what they call the culture wars in order to separate out this misogyny. And yeah. I tell people all the time, well, you're thinking about voting for Donald Trump because you watched him on WWE and you saw him with Vince McMahon, but you don't remember the Central Park Five where this man took out an ad and still hasn't apologized. Mm -hmm. People don't change who they are, Tavis. Yeah. It just gets exposed when they get higher positions. Yep. And so I'll say this, uh, power ultimately makes either a person a leader or a tyrant. And we see that we're moving toward tyranny in one direction. I don't think that the focus needs to be on Joe Biden or Donald Trump. It needs to be on what values do you actually mm. celebrate? Because if you look at the policies yeah. um, that are being pushed by both sides, take out the sound bites and all this other stuff, Black men overwhelmingly want to make sure that their families are taken care of. Let me let me let me pause there because um, uh, Kermit Williams has just that's a mouthful. There's a whole lot to unpack. I was talking to my friend and brother, Michael Fontroy, in our first hour, and he used a beautiful phrase that I want to introduce in this conversation. I knew it was going to come up. He calls it narrative malpractice, that these storylines are really about, about black men and Biden is really narrative malpractice. Here comes Kermit now saying he believes that black men are being scapegoated. Ooh, we just getting started. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. What's your quarrel with the world? You're listening to Tavis Smiley. More of Tavis Smiley and Harrison Shelby and Kermit Williams as we continue our dialogue with these two brothers uh, about all things um, Joe Biden. There have been a number of articles, as I mentioned earlier in this hour, about uh, Joe Biden and black men uh, pondering their various options. Uh, articles in the Washington Post, article in Rolling Stone, in the L.A. Times, uh, all across the country. Uh, all kinds of publications online, in Politico, so many stories written about Biden and black men. Uh, some folk are uh, tired of hearing about it. Some people uh, don't believe it. Um, some folk are mad at black men for being so stuck on stupid that they would consider voting for one Donald Trump. My friend Michael Fontroy, professor at George Mason University, said earlier in today's program, used this beautiful phrase, uh, narrative malpractice. He says, Tabas, I believe there is a narrative malpractice here on the part of the media to keep writing these headlines and keep trying to advance this particular narrative. Uh, and here comes uh, Kermit Williams uh, suggesting that he believes um, that that Michael may be right. He didn't say it that way. But if you if you suggest, as Kermit did a moment ago, which I want him to unpack now, 
that he believes that black men are being scapegoated in this election, then it, it, it ain't a quantum leap from Kermit's argument that black men are being scapegoated to Michael Fontroy's argument that there's narrative malpractice on the part of the media. What does, put another way, what does the media gain for continuing to run these stories about black men and Joe Biden? I'll shut up. Kermit Williams, your thoughts? Yeah, I think they want it to be a self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the end, of, at the end of the day, you can have problems with your wife uh, and not you. And so, one of the things that they're doing is they're constantly trying to place this media narrative, as you say, a media malpractice, in the face of black male voters to make it seem because they know that elections are often based on popularity and momentum. And so if they can make it seem that it's okay to vote for this person that doesn't have your best interests at heart and you've got your brother doing it, so you might as well do it too. And so the media is self-fulfilling that because you have to think about it. Regardless of what we say about politics, it's become commercialized. And they would rather have a certain person in the White House to sell headlines and to sell ads and to do other things than have somebody that they consider to be uh, less uh, sensational. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the end of the day, um, they don't benefit from having continuity, especially in the black community. And so if they can paint this narrative that, OK, we get 10 percent of the people to vote this way and now it's a landslide, it makes up and covers up the fact that you have uh, white women who are voting uh, for reproductive justice and freedom. Shout out to Shanae uh, Watson Whitaker for carrying our state and doing that work. But we've got white women who voted overwhelmingly to support reproductive freedom uh, and at the same time are still talking about voting for 45. Mm-hmm. Imagine that. Mm-hmm. They know it's against their interests, but they're supporting it. But there's no stories about that, Tavis. Mm-hmm. There's no story asking a white woman, why would you vote for Donald Trump? Mm-hmm. He just came to Waterford, uh, which was the head of uh, the Ku Klux Klan for Oakland County um, last weekend. Mm-hmm. And the article that they read was about white men and black men and who's going to support who. But if you look at that line, it was full of white women. It wasn't full of brothers, Tavis. Mm-hmm. And so when you look at the ground, when you look at who's putting these rallies and you're looking at Iowa and they're talking about elections being stolen, but they're voting in popcorn buckets, we have to realize that they've hijacked not only the narrative, but they're trying to set up a, a, a factor or a, a thought that black men are going to tip this election in a certain way. Yeah. We are we are very valuable, but we are not the base of his support. And I think that the story needs to be written. Why are these people supporting this code of personality, which is lawsuit after lawsuit? None of these things matter because they've set up a narrative where the truth is not important at all. No matter what he does, his support does not wane. Because at the end of the day, not only the media and other people keep perpetuating that black people are going to just jump from the Democratic Party, jump from something that they've been supporting for 50 years to go jump on the coattails of The Apprentice. And that's not what's going to happen. But instead, if they can get an extra 5% of black men to stay home or say that we're not voting, then they know that they can bring out this hate narrative mm-hmm. and get somebody across the finish line. No, it's 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 powerful and it's persuasive uh, as an argument. I, I, I take it and I receive it. Let me just ask you, though, uh, you and Harrison, I'll ask Harrison first. Um, is there a particular frustration with Joe Biden? And if there is, what is that frustration, Harrison Shelby? I think the 
frustration is uh, the campaign promises. Mm-hmm. Um, we haven't, a lot of them haven't been fulfilled, especially like student loan debt and the handling of uh, the Israel and Hamas war and things like that. And so younger voters are looking at those critical issues um, and thinking about how they're going to uh, vote. And um, as a Gen Zer, um, nationally, the turnout was 27%, which is the second highest turnout among uh, voters under 30 in the last three decades. And so uh, we're looking at how the things, how he's handling things now, uh, and that's how we're going to determine how we're going to vote. On the student, on the student loan debt, I raised this because you raised it. We discussed it earlier in today's program. He did what he could on that, and the Supreme Court smacked him on that. He can't overrule the Supreme Court, obviously. He can't unilaterally um, uh, fiat into existence his own opinions about that. Uh, he tried it. They smacked him back, but he has been doing uh, everything he can to chip away, chip away, chip away. We just literally discussed that earlier on this program. Um, 3.9 million fellow citizens now have had some form of uh, student debt relief. It ain't the $45 million that he wanted. Uh, but he's been chipping away at that. So Joe Biden has a line that he uses all the time, Harrison, which I like. It says, compare me to the alternative, not to the almighty. Compare me to the alternative, not to the almighty. Um, I wonder whether or not you think that uh, you and other uh, black men are giving Joe Biden too much of a hard time, given what he inherited, number one. What he's done against the odds, number two, and how he keeps uh, trying, at least uh, many believe, to chip away at the things that he promised, including student loan debt. Are you are you being too tough on Joe Biden? Is the question? I don't think nobody. I don't think anyone is above critique. Right. And I agree. As a, as I a agree. community activist, I have a moral obligation to hold our elected uh, elected officials accountable in our political system, not mm-hmm. just Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you know. Uh, in the words of Handy Lufamer, when you get to a point where you're sick and tired of being sick and tired. Mm-hmm. So the frustration is not just with Joe Biden and the and the Democratic Party, but the overall our political system. And we and we're creating, uh, especially at Detroit Action, the alternative for that. We're building the type of power that we that we want to see for our communities yeah. and trying to build that co-governing power to present the alternatives. Because I think that the people that are experiencing the most struggle have the solutions yeah and so we need to be at the table um helping create these policies and, you, and things like that and you're creating you're creating alternatives i want to be clear um because i hear i hear this distinction i want to make sure i got it right you are interested in alternatives but it doesn't necessarily mean that uh, doesn't necessarily mean that that alternative is donald trump yes no correct no, it's not donald trump it's okay not, it's correct it's not donald trump but okay. it's creating the policy the policy change and uh doing the work yeah, uh, that needs to be done to win the, the to to win uh, big for our community. No, nope, so, fair enough, fair yeah. enough, fair is enough. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it, it it is very clear. <laughs> I got your point. That's why I want to clarify that, Harrison Shelby. Uh, when we come forward, more of Harrison Shelby and Kermit Williams as we talk about the frustration that some black men have with Joe Biden and all these headlines that black men are going to vote for Trump, that black men are pondering their options, that black men are done with Joe Biden, all these headlines that, um, uh, again, one of my friends calls narrative malpractice, where Kermit Williams calls black men being scapegoated. We'll talk more about it when we come forward on Tavis Smiley. Interrogating and unpacking. That's what we do around here. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. 
Always rooting for everybody black. Everybody black. black. More of Tavis Smiley coming your way right now. Right now. Right now. Coming Williams. I'm watching my times get away from me, so let me move along a little more swiftly here. Earlier in this dialogue, which I have found to be rich, and I thank you for being a part of it, my friend, um, you suggested that black men need extra attention, that black men need extra attention. So these articles may be narrative malpractice. They may be scapegoating black men with these stories, but you were very clear and unapologetic about saying that black men need extra attention. Unpack that for me, please. Uh, well, it's, it's really simple. The things that uh, we thought were going to get across the finish line for whatever reason didn't happen. Uh, you talk about the George Floyd Act. Uh, you talk about Build Back Better. Um, you let Joe Manchin uh, highlight, uh, hijack two years of an administration um, with his foolishness, and black men got the short end of that stick. And so it's very important that the things that we value, and y'all talked about student loans early. I just got $70,000 of mine uh, dispatched because I've been in public service. And so shout out to Joe Biden for that. <laughs> I think that the the critique um, is real because we're dealing with a system that has been unfair to black men. But there's a statistic out, Tavis, that black men have not uh, moved forward in any statistical category since 1970. Mm-hmm. And it's now 2024. So it didn't just happen with Joe Biden, but we have to realize that there has to be extra attention. Reparations didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Black people talk about it amongst themselves every day, and that's not on the forefront of anybody's agenda. Uh, budgets are reflections of priorities. And when you look at the budget, it, it helps everybody, but it's not specifically to help black men. And so when you talk about the pandemic, uh, when the country was able to print out money, a lot of these people that are talking about voting for Donald Trump is because he signed his name on the Treasury checks, yeah. not because he's done anything uh, that was substantial, but they saw that as a direct line to get yeah. money. I think that uh, the Biden administration as a whole and every Democrat needs to start talking about the policies infrastructure and other things, but to make sure that those carve-outs for black jobs and justice are there. You get what I'm saying? We've been fighting for uh, jobs, justice for how long? Mm -hmm. You know, and we can still have the same argument today. Uh, You and Dr. West went on the poverty tour um, years ago, and it's time to revisit that because if you look at these communities that we have, there needs to be not only an infusion of capital, but it's got to be directed to those who have been directly impacted or affected. Um, We just uh, celebrated at the White House the people from Tulsa, but at the end, they didn't get a reparation check. Mm -hmm. And so when you start looking at making sure that the dollars match the rhetoric, that's the piece that's pushed. But just because uh, we have uh, issues with how Biden is administering the job, we weren't even thought about under the Trump administration. He told people to drink bleach when black people died disproportionately uh, from the pandemic. And so when you're looking at apples to apples, there is really no comparison. And so the issue is, how do we make Joe Biden better? Mm. How do we take this next four years and push it to a place that it needs to be? Because the alternative doesn't mean us any good. And I think that uh, because they're saying, what do you have to lose? We have everything to lose yeah. when we support you. That is the question. Uh, and that's why I wanted to have this conversation um, uh, about whether or not, in fact, black men are being scapegoated, whether or not this is, as I said earlier, uh, narrative malpractice. But I think Kermit, leave it to Kermit Williams to put his finger right on the question. Uh, and we'll address that when we come forward. If uh, the alternative uh, is not the answer to the prayer, uh, 45, then how do we help make Joe Biden better? How do we build him back better, if I can put it that way? You're listening to Harrison Shelby and Kermit Williams on Tavis Smiley. 
For all the freedom-loving folk, this is Tavis Smiley. I feel like More honesty than you can handle. More empowerment than you can imagine. You're tuned in to Tavis Smiley. I've got three minutes left. I'll give each of you 90 seconds. You first, Harrison Shelby. Um, how can we build Joe Biden back better? Harrison? I believe that. Yeah. Yes. Go for it. Go for it. Uh, I believe that we um, have got to, um, those that are in the party have got to uh, be credible messengers to uh, other black men. Uh, no one um, out in the community making sure that we are out and voting and making sure we're getting the things that we need for our community. It was your frame, Kermit Williams. I'll give you the last word. Uh, how do we build him back better? Well, first, uh, we got to have a ceasefire so we can make sure that uh, nobody is supporting murder of any kind. Mm. The second thing that we have to do is make sure that we are pushing a black agenda, Tavis. And so I know you're going to do future shows on that, but I think we need to have four or five clear points that we want and expect out of each of our politicians. I feel like every time we wait to a presidential elections to figure out what we want, and now is not the time. Yeah. So we're, we need to support Joe Biden to keep America moving smoothly, but then we need to push the things that make black America whole again. Let me ask you very, very quickly, Kermit, whether or not you think Joe Biden can, in fact, with black men in particular uh, and with American voters writ large, can he close this enthusiasm gap? Uh, he can with God's help, um, but it's going to take a lot of work. And you got to support organizations like Michigan United, Oakland Forward, Our Own Wall Street, uh, Black Voters Matter, Michigan uh, Coalition on Black Civic Participation in order to do it. Because we have to do the work. Yeah. We're going to have to save ourselves like we save democracy every time, Travis. And it's not going to be one white man that does it for us. No. And to your point uh, a moment ago about the ceasefire, uh, we keep reading these stories. Um, that there are many folk in Michigan, Rashida Tlaib and others. Uh, the Arab community is massive there, as you know, telling Biden, don't even think about coming here. We are not even considering voting for you. Michigan is always in the thick of things. Biden only won by three points the last time over Trump, as you well know. How in play is Michigan going to be right quick, Kermit? It is it's, it's super in play. The, the margin is, uh, is slim on a knife's edge, and every vote is going to matter in this election. Uh, but Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib is doing a phenomenal job, and it's important that we listen to everybody who's representing their community the right way. So we just want to make sure that everybody knows, Tavis, that Michigan is going to be the center of this vote, and Pontiac is the center of the universe. We thank Kermit Williams. We thank Harrison Shelby for a very frank uh, and forward uh, thinking and looking conversation uh, about the Democratic Party and black men, specifically Joe Biden, black men. Uh, I thank you both for your conversation uh, in this hour. All the best to you, Kermit. Thanks for your time. Same to you, uh, Harrison. Be well now. Thank you. Good to have you both on. Just like that, three hours gone back here tomorrow. Oops, tomorrow's Friday, so it's the best of Tavis Smiley tomorrow. Three great hours you might have missed from this week. Uh, I promise you we'll pull the best ones and there are a lot of good stuff to choose from this week. So tomorrow the best of Tavis Smiley. Until then, thanks for tuning in and as always, keep the faith.